Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Black Phillips, safe. you are wicked. Just here to speak to me. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I am your host, Armand Haddad. This season, we are shining the spotlights on art house films and the power of cinema within our lives. Today's focus is on the 2015 supernatural horror, The Witch, by director Robert Eggers. To unpack this film, I'm accompanied by the hosts of the film podcast, Real Friends, Emily and Madison. Emily and Madison, welcome to Syndicate. Hello! I'm Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Madison, I can't hear your audio. Oh my god, she's muted. No, she's muted. I'm, I'm just messing up left and right. How about it here, everyone? Madison, come on, we've been doing this for years. <laughs> I, you would, you wouldn't know it. No. <laughs> it happens. It happens all the time. <laughs> Thank you for having us, Armand. I feel we just started out this podcast on a very appropriate note for what classic goes on real, classic real friends. friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. So since this is your first time on the show, I want to ask you, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast, Real Friends? Sure. I can take it away, Madison, if you don't mind. Please do. Great. So Real Friends, a movie podcast is kind of our fun movie film club where each uh, every other week, Madison and I release an episode uh focusing on one film, uh, but with a very niche genre attached to it. One of my favorites, for example, is 
Midsummer, and other movies to watch with your ex. That was Madison's <laughs> pick for the week. Uh, we have users submit other fun films that they would also like to watch with your their exes. Um, so that's kind of just the category. That's an example of it. And Madison and I switch off every week picking a movie. Uh, the range is very vast. We go from anywhere from Booksmart to The Mummy, the one, of course, with Brendan Fraser. And, uh, you know, now we're talking about The Witch with you. So we're very excited to be here. Talk about something a little bit more serious. Yes, of course. Yeah, you know, the funny side note with Midsummer, I took, so it was my friend's birthday when that movie came out. And I was like, let's go see a movie. And he was like, okay. And it was Midsummer. And he's not big on horror films. So oh. when the movie ended, he turned to me and was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Happy birthday to him. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was a great time. But, um, I mean, your show seems so fun. And what I also like, in addition to uh, what you talk about on air, is also off air on social media. Who does the artwork for all of your Instagram posts? That's a great question. That is my little sister, Katie, who does all. She's a graphic artist, and we really uh, lucked out by having her on our team. <laughs> We, that started out in such a fun way. We were just looking for someone to make like our podcast cover art. And so we were like, oh, great. We'll ask Katie. She's a very talented graphic designer. And then all of a sudden, I don't even remember like how it snowballed, but we were recording the Midsummer episode, which was one of our early ones. And I was like, I'm just picturing like a chart that goes through like the experience of watching this movie. And I'm picturing us in bear carcasses and then Katie <laughs> made it and the rest is history. And now she, uh, Puts me and Emily into uh, each movie we record, which they is make very me funny. laugh so much. My recent favorite was she made me. We covered Forrest Gump, and she made me a shrimp <laughs> on the shrimping boat. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, very like fun. I knew an actual. I knew an artist made that um, with each one of your posts, and I was like, "Who does it?" But that, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm a professional uh, designer, so uh, tell your little sister to not give up. I will. <laughs> I'll pass that message along. Okay, so I'm glad that you uh, introduced your show. And since you mentioned Midsummer and these other A24 movies, even though The Witch wasn't A24, it's A24 adjacent. So I have to ask, how did you first discover The Witch? So Emily and I actually met about 10 years ago, and we were working in film publicity in, in San Francisco. So we had to cover this screening for a work event. We had to be there. Uh, and something that's really great about Emily and I's friendship is we end up having seen a lot of the movies that we cover together. So we saw The Witch together in 2015 at the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco. And wow. I just, yeah, remember, um, Emily, you can hop in here, but we like walked out of this movie and our minds were just collectively mm -hmm. blown. Yep, agreed. And I think for myself, I don't love... Typically, I don't love an art house film. Like, I normally don't seek going after watching these kinds of movies. Of course, A24, that's a different circumstance. Those films are amazing. <laughs> but I wasn't very super excited about this. But, of course, that changed my mind. And this is one of the films that I've seen where I'm like, I will recommend this to people all the time because it's so good. Um, and I had talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, I have not watched this movie since that time when we watched it all those years ago in 2015. So this is the first time rewatching it. So it was like a great opportunity to kind of catch up knowing what I know about the film and rewatching it again. So you can catch things that you normally didn't catch before, which I thought was really interesting. Wow. 
Yeah, that is that is so interesting. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat, except I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it um, the year it came out. Once it went on like Netflix, mm-hmm. um, I, I heard some buzz about The Witch, but I didn't go seek it out in theaters. I was too busy being in college <laughs> and stressing out. Um, but once I graduated, saw it on Netflix, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is such a bold." take on horror and like such a refreshing take because like it is a period drama uh, with a horror rapper that has such a bold ending that we haven't seen in a very long time like it's so unconventional and I absolutely love it so what were your first impressions like leaving the theater even though you touched upon it a little bit but could you unpack a little bit more how was your mind blown walking out of the theater of the witch I I think I remember one of my first thoughts was like, who is this director? Uh, mm-hmm. Because this was his first feature. And I just remember being like, why don't I know this name? And I just right. remember going on IMDb as we were leaving the theater, like, who is this guy? What? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously now I'm sure I speak for all three of us that we're all big Robert Eggers fans. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen The Northman yet. I can't wait. I probably will go. Watch did you watch tomorrow. it, Armand? I did. Oof. How was did it? You like it? Not to get off on a side tangent on the Northman, <laughs> but it was, in my opinion, one of the greatest films of the last 10 years. Ooh, I can't wait. Like, I was completely blown away. I saw it at one of the uh, independent theaters we have in Chicago. It's called The Music Box, and it's this 100-year-old theater, and I'm sitting in the audience, opening day, and the movie starts... And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm watching cinematic history. This feels like a film bigger than like a normal film. This feels like an event. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch it. That just got like my <laughs> so blood <laughs> pumping. Like my blood pressure just rose. I'm so excited. His career trajectory just makes so much sense. Like literally just based off of like one second plot point and setting. Like the witch to the lighthouse to mm-hmm. the Northmen. Like it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Bless exactly. that man. I also so believe, adding on yeah. to Madison, what you were saying earlier, I believe this was also Anya Taylor-Joy's first, the- it was just her theatrical debut as an actress as well. Yes, I think Which so. is incredible. And she's incredible. I've, I've seen a handful of things that she's done. I, I too remember just being like, everybody in this cast was phenomenal. Oh, Even yeah. um, the one thing that I don't know why, but this was the main, whenever I think of The Witch, I think of a specific scene and we can get to it later. Uh, but Kate Dickey's performance, who plays Catherine, you know, like everybody, even the kids, even the twins who are children are amazing. Caleb, sweet Caleb, you know, everybody was so impressive to me. Yeah, you know, it's it's so phenomenal because like the cast, I mean, we know some of these people they are from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy was like, this was was like her first theatrical film and she knocked it out of the park. And then even with the kids, like you would think like, you know, it's hit or miss when it comes to kid actors. And like these kids were like top notch. It's so surprising. I don't know what Robert Eggers did during mm-hmm. the production of this film, but like he got those performances out. Right. And it was amazing. Yeah. Listen, I hate those twins. Mercy. (laughs) Is it Mercy? Mercy and Jonas. Jonas. Yeah. The worst. I think you could make a case that those are the two villains of the movie over Satan. Yeah. Black (laughs) Philip, get out of town. You're not, you're not the worst. You're not the most evil person in this hood. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) Look out for Mercy and Jonas. but, But just to the point of like, you have to be a really successful actor to make someone hate you that much. So props to those two kids because Good job. can't. 
I don't know what else they've been in, but like, they're so creepy and so weird. And like, I think when I watched it for the first time, part of me was like, I don't think these are kids. I think they're adults (laughs) pretending to be kids, but they're actual kids. Wait, it's so funny that you say that because specifically the scene, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but like when they're by the lake and Mm -hmm. Thomason kind of like goes down the like, I am the witch of the wood. Mercy legitimately, like, I feel like is acting like a 30 year old woman. And yes, what the twins are like five. But I had that (laughs) same thought where I was like, are you this young? I'm confused. I guess in 1630, you had to be a little bit more mature to like make it in the world <laughs> after right. outcast by society. Right. Exactly. Like, it. I think the life expectancy wasn't really much after 30. So I guess the middle age was 15. Oh, yeah. I'm, looking, I'm looking at William and I'm like, that guy's probably 24. <laughs> Yikes. With the soul of a 90 year old. Yep. <laughs> And a six-pack of a 24-year-old also. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So we're touching upon the plots. So before we go any further, listeners of the show know what time it is. It's time for some elevator pitches. Please stand clear of the closing door. So for those that don't know, if you're selling a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So here on Syndicate today, we're going to simulate that by putting 60 seconds on the clock. So, Madison, you volunteered for tribute, so you're going to do the entire pitch on behalf of your podcast. (laughs) Are you ready? I am ready. Emily has put her faith in me, and I am ready. Okay. We're going to start in three, two, one. Go. The Salem Witch Trials have fascinated us for over 300 years because it's basically the Stanford prison experiment of American history, focused around the fear of a supernatural being that was a very real threat to people of the time. Since then, witches have become an oversaturated caricature, almost cliched by modern culture, and made to be a friendly character that we love, a.k.a. Hocus Pocus. The witch... (laughs) The witch gives us an origin in a new form of raw horror that we crave from dark fairy tales rooted in real history, while keeping the very real themes of shame-based religion and fear of female sexuality at the forefront, making this fairy tale as old as time scarier than ever. Oh my god, with 20 seconds to spare. That was amazing. This is why Madison covers these things. <laughs> my, I wanted my elevator pitch to be the same ratio as the life expectancy. In- <laughs> <laughs> I like fairy tales wow. oldest time. <laughs> that was good. That Great was line. Good. I can't believe you did it off the cuff like that. That was, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, she didn't prepare. Yeah, I didn't. Nothing was no. written there. No, no, really good. No, Beautiful. Sir. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the film proper. So the film takes place in, was it uh, the time of the Pilgrims? Uh, when Pur- it comes to Puritanical New times, sixteen thirties. <laughs> I was going to use that word, but I didn't know if that was the correct word. But thank you. Yes, confirmed. And I don't think I've used the word puritanical since I read The Crucible in high school. So here we are. <laughs> well, speaking of The Crucible, like mm-hmm. so. Right, right, hot out of the gate, uh, we're introduced to this family, and like they're being uh, set up on trial uh, in front of the town uh, meeting hall, and they're we don't really know why or how. Through the dialogue, it's like okay, clearly there's some theological differences between 
the father of this family and the society in which they live in. And unfortunately, he was so steadfast in his faith. He was like, I am not going to let go of what I believe in. You're all fake Christians. And if you want to banish me, then so be it. And then he was kicked (laughs) out of town. And that's how our film starts. And we're like, what's happening? So what did you think of that opening? I think it was necessary to set up the reasoning why they have been outcast. It's a very brief moment. And I was reading about how, uh, how Robert Eggers wanted to start with the peekaboo scene, actually, like open the oh. film with that scene, yeah. but realized, I think we need a little bit more context. We need the audience to know why they are in this situation. Why are they are not with another you know group of people, you know, who they've been with the entire time. Um, so I thought it was necessary. And it also sets up the father, you know, like this, father figure making this decision just because of his steadfastness and his uh you know his beliefs he didn't talk to the family obviously they have to listen to him so it's kind of showcasing how he is setting this family up for what is going to be a terrible terrible ride right yeah i think even just like the initial opening shot of the movie on thomason's face in the Mm -hmm. courthouse or church wherever we are both probably, probably both. <laughs> those laws had not been passed yet. They were the same thing. Um, and you get like that huge, like what now feels like signature Robert Eggers, like booming sound on her mm. face. And it's just like, I feel like the whole tone of the film is set up in like 0.2 seconds with that like initial opening thought. Right. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's, per- it's the perfect setup. I feel like it never gives you more than you like just need mm-hmm. to know which I always like. It's concise. Yeah. yeah, I do appreciate that. It's not like, it's not an exposition dump, as I would say. Exactly. Like, you're just given enough information, and most of it is done visually, and not like inundating the audience with like, so as you know, uh, you know, <laughs> William, since you didn't do this, and it's like, no, it's just, right. we get we straight get to the chase. Yeah. And I like and, that it, this movie, going back to that point too, about it being like, not you know having too much it's only an hour and a half long and the pacing is great it is kind of a slow burn but i think that there's enough in the movie like enough action where it is needed for it to feel like it's actually going quite fast right like i was surprised so like i was in your boat emily where i didn't see the film since you know the year it came out and so revisiting it i was surprised to see that it was 90 minutes i could have sworn it was at least two hours right Uh, Just because it is a, quote, slow burn, a slower paced film, yet at the same time, it's so, there's no fat on Mm -hmm. the script at all. It's, it's very cut and dry. It's, you know, one event leads to another and it's, it's very, uh, it's very methodically uh, paced. It's, it's very well done as a movie. To dive deeper into the father figure uh, of this film, he is the reason, I think I could say this right now, he is the reason why all of this even happens in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, he's, he's strong in his belief, but he's also stubborn. And he puts his entire family into peril. And they have to survive in the wilderness. And it's just like, it's, it's just interesting having this duality uh, with his figure because like he has his family interests in mind and he's like trying to take care of his family. He's being like a good fatherly figure. But at the same time, he is the reason why they're even out there in the first place. And he doesn't want to uh, repent for whatever his transgressions are. I just find that really interesting that out of all the people in this family, he is the one 
that set everything into motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question based in what you just said that mm-hmm. takes us back to the beginning of the movie. Okay. We obviously know that like the supernaturals of this movie are true, right? Like yeah. there are witches and there is Satan. Yeah. Do you question for the group? Do you guys think that whatever the dad did to get them to this position and maybe it was just a stubborn maybe he was being stubborn do you think he did do something to damn the family Ooh. like do you think this was like yeah i'm glad you <laughs> asked that because when i was doing research on the time period because i was like okay i don't know if they're puritans but they seem like puritans yeah. i did a little bit of research and i never knew the puritans were calvinists are you familiar with calvinism no Okay, let me unpack it. Calvin and Hobbes? (laughs) That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So in theology, um, Calvinism is a a viewpoint on Christianity where they believe certain people, like your entire life is predestined. Like people are destined to go to heaven. People are destined to go to hell. And like they use like the the term election. God's elect are Christians and they're going to go to heaven and you're determined at birth, whether you're, where you're going to go. So I bring that up because with this whole family, like, because I was like trying to wrap my head around like, okay, with uh, Thomason's character and like the father, you asked, like, did he put the family there because maybe he was destined to? I don't know. I don't know if he was tempted by the devil, but it's just like, I don't know, maybe he set into motions what would happen to his daughter and his daughter would manifest what's going to happen. Was she determined or was she destined to be uh, an agent of the dark one? I don't know. Probably. (laughs) It's just very interesting. I think that, yeah, like I think that it's interesting. That's a good question because that's what, that's what really propelled this family into being in this situation. You know, nobody goes in, you know, finding a new house like thinking that there's going to be a witch living in the woods next door to you. I think that was just bad. Also, they had so much place. They had so much space. <laughs> they picked the one wrong spot next to this like wooded witch forest. Like that's bad <laughs> luck on their end. But um <laughs> but it's interesting because I actually find that everybody in the family is very religious. I feel like they're, you know, especially, you know, I think William is very religious, Caleb, Catherine. Um, I think obviously not the twins because they are Satan incarnate. Um, but <laughs> I actually think that Thomason is the one who kind of, she doesn't really think about religion like her family does, you know, even in that opening, mm-hmm. uh, one of the opening scenes when she's praying and she's talking about how she's confessing all of her sins and be like, I've been idle, you know, I've been disobedient to my parents. And I wonder if that was kind of also an in for Satan to like, listen to her sins and be like, Oh, that sounds like a good target for me, you know, Mm. could be. And then I think that expands on the question of like, like taking what you both said and then taking it a step further, right. Is like, is a woman born a witch or is a woman made a witch? So it's Mm -hmm. like taking the crucible question Mm -hmm. And it's flipping it. Like, is Mm. she, like, would she have signed the book if it had been presented to her at the beginning of the film? Or were the events of the film and all of the things that she sees happen to her family, is that what led her into this place of accepting this destiny? And Mm -hmm. is either better than the other? 
and she even mentions like she was talking to Caleb in the woods like don't you remember glass windows like they have that conversation where she's like she remembers a life where they had more and they didn't have to work as hard and my favorite line of the movie that I will tell you both right now is when Black Philip as Satan is talking to Thomas and and he says wouldst thou like to live deliciously and I just screamed out loud in my living room when he said that like what a line (laughs) and she's like yeah I yeah I would thank you for asking you should put sign me sign me up (laughs) yeah (laughs) with a black goat on silhouette (laughs) some nice napkins for dinner party perfect (laughs) very goth I love it um so that's such an excellent um, thing that you bring up, Madison, when it comes to, like, would she have signed the devil's book if she wasn't in the wilderness? If she was back in the village, would she have done so? And that's really interesting because, like, what's interesting is how Thomason and Caleb react to the stress of being outcasted. Um, it's very interesting because, and we can unpack it a little bit more, um, so Caleb is the eldest son and Thomason is the eldest daughter and Caleb, I feel went towards his faith in Jesus more. And while Thomason str- went away from her faith and like went towards the devil, it's just really interesting. And it's like, once again, we bring it up where, where are they destined towards those outcomes or is it a matter of choice given their circumstance? It's really yeah, what'd you guys what'd you guys think about that? I think it's interesting how you just phrased that because I think that Caleb and Thomason, as the modern viewer, are like the most morally appealing of the family when we first meet the family. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you feel obviously bad for the mom because she just lost a child. So it's like mm-hmm. I get that you're not handling this very well but Mm -hmm. she's she's a difficult character to stomach you like the dad for a lot of reasons and i think that you were frustrated with the dads for a lot of reasons the twins are obviously again the devil incarnate but (laughs) like we like thomas and caleb as characters but Mm. like the movie is telling us and the mother specifically is telling us that like specifically Thomason is like the, the center of the family. Like mm-hmm. she is morally at the bottom of the totem pole. So it's interesting that the way the movie goes is that she is right. Like she signs the devil's book and in terms of like the morality spectrum, which I think the movie is presenting it as very black and white. Mm-hmm. She's on the darker end of the spectrum. But what's interesting is as a viewer, because we now have a much more, I think, progressed way of viewing humanity and the idea of sin being sinful um, and what a complicated person looks like. We're relating to these characters so much more. And so I err on the side of, you know, like she was pushed into this position, not Mm -hmm. born into it. I guess. And to add to that too, they are all flawed characters. Like even right. thinking about initially, I guess except for Sam Samuel, who's the baby, but then there's the whole conversation that Caleb's really concerned about that he's like, am I going to hell? Is like, is Samuel going to hell? And they're like, essentially, yeah, he is because everybody is going to do that. But I think that they're all flawed characters. Even Caleb, who I thought was initially very innocent, I was thinking that, and then you keep getting the shots of him 
looking at his sister's chest. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he has, you know, some things that he's probably working out. You go, of course. And the one thing that made me upset about William's character was the fact that William, we know, confesses to Caleb that he sold his mother's silver cup. And even when the mom right. and Catherine is talking to Thomason and blaming her for it, like Caleb and uh, William are just kind of sitting there knowing the truth and not saying anything, which is morally wrong. We know that as the viewer, too. And just because you're religious and you confess your sins doesn't make you, like, a better person for doing that. Like, they're all kind of still shitty people at the end of the day. <laughs> well, I guess what's interesting is I would almost, like, I agree with you, Emily, and I kind of disagree, because then if you look at, like, what's the greatest sin of the movie, like, done by the family, like, all of that is something so comparable like that's those are like light errors that they're right. making. You know, like they they're all make humans. sense, right? Right, exactly. Humans. So mm-hmm. we're just getting like a little bubble of like humanity within mm-hmm. this family. Like no one's murdering anyone. No one's like doing oh, anything. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh, that's well, right. Well, when we first meet them, yes. <laughs> you know. So it's like, and then the events are what lead to the the evil. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, like that dinner scene where the mother, played by Kate Dickey, Catherine, she was so distraught because like the cup was missing. She didn't know where the cup was. She was immediately blamed Thomason. She seems to be like the scapegoat of the family. Mm-hmm. Like whatever the problem is, it's your fault. <laughs> and what was interesting was her dad defended her. Like she was, or he was like, you know, if she said she didn't take the cup, she didn't take the cup. But he didn't say. I sold the exactly. cup. Exactly. It, mm-hmm. it was just like, leave her alone. I don't know where the cup is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about it from the mother's perspective. Like, mm-hmm. she's like the perfect archetype of the grieving mother. And it's like, it bothers you at the core <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, her, her kid died. And like, she's so distraught because like, they're outcasted. They're in a very bad situation where like, the crop is not yielding enough food for the winter. They have no valuables to trade. She's questioning whether her kid is in heaven or hell, depending on the age of when the kid died. And so it's like, you understand where she's coming from. And it's like, I don't know when I was like really thinking about it. Like, are you familiar with Michelangelo's uh, statue of La Piazza where, where Mary is holding the broken body of Jesus? Like I I had those vibes when I was, Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my, goodness like she is like completely destroyed and like there's like no reprieve from anything or anybody so it's like i understand where she's coming from but like you also can't cannibalize your entire family given their situation (laughs) it's an interesting point and i was actually thinking about this when we were watching but it was kind of like hereditary vibes in the sense that Mm. similar thing happens where their one of their children is responsible for the death of another child of their other child spoilers Spoilers. (laughs) sorry go on it came out a long time ago sorry uh watch the movie um but it's again like trying to put myself in their shoes of course i would be mad at my child if they were responsible for the death of another you know like i would I, i you know I held them accountable for that, but it's hard because obviously at the same time, they're still your kid too. They feel horrible for what has happened. So it's a very difficult situation that I hope I am never in, Um, but it's very difficult to kind of like. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just she shouldn't I also with that being said, I also think that she is extra hard on Thomason. And I feel like she has been hard on Thomason probably since the beginning too. I don't think this is anything mm-hmm. new. Um, but it's yeah, what do you what do you both think? Like what do you think of Catherine's actions towards Thomason? Do you think that she's in the right to be treating her this way? Or like be fe- I guess not treating her that way, but feeling the way that she's feeling. What do you what do you think? I think Madison, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Armand, do you just voiced it in a way because i think we can all agree like she's the least likable character in the she's hard to watch yeah and then armand as you were talking about like i understand and you're voicing all these things i was like dang me too (laughs) yeah she's she's in a rough spot but so she's kind of like unfortunately the most like understandable character right like i mean Mm. but i do think her actions are it's hard Extreme. to sympathize with her, but you also do kind of in a way. I don't know. Right. But I think right. it leads into kind of like the root of like a lot of conversations around the Salem witch trials that I kind of touched on in my opening argument. I think definitely is this is what the mother's hatred of Thomason is rooted in is like mm-hmm. female sexuality, essentially, I think. And like, I think the mother is scared of that in her daughter. And that's why she's lashing out. And I think she's dealing with that within herself. And I think that she has, like, all of it, I think, is rooted in anger towards, like, femininity. And I think that that can be, like, connected to each character, whether it's, like, fear or lust or anger. It, like, all roots back to to that, which we know from a lot of, like, fictional texts, right? Like, The Crucible and a lot of things. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> like, a lot of the Salem witch trials, it, like, it, that's the most interesting and obvious theme to dig into. And I think that the witch does it in a way that's not, like, extremely obvious, but, like, is for sure, I think, at the center of a lot of characters. Yeah, that is the subtext of yeah. that. Uh the whole witch trial thing. And I want you to unpack that a little bit more because like, there's kind of like this, there's two angles when it comes to the Salem witch trial, as you uh, explained it, this uh, attack on sexuality and femininity. And it's personified with uh, the mother, Catherine uh, towards Thomason and, and Anya Taylor joy. And what's interesting is it could be viewed as two different things. It could be viewed as, from a like a spiritual aspect where it's like I'm afraid that you are an agent of the devil, and that's why I have this deep seated anger towards you because like I gave birth to someone who's not aligned with what I believe, and if you flip it over, 
is she, and I want you to unpack this a little bit more, is she jealous that Thomason is younger than her, like a better version of her? Is she jealous of that? And she's lashing out because it's like, I don't know. She's essentially being replaced in a way. Like, what, what do you think about that? That is so interesting how you just split that up. I'm interested to hear both of your answers to the question you just posed, because I think my viewpoints are going to come across. I think for me in this film and in a lot of what I see sometimes, like I'm going to speak specifically to this film, like a lot of the religion seems to be used as a way to communicate the latter of what you just said. So like, I do think it is rooted in self and I do think it is rooted in like fear or jealousy and all of those things. And it's just being communicated through the way they know how to communicate it, which is language and blame and like blame based religion. So I am jealous of you or I'm scared because you're my daughter and now you're growing up and that's a lot, you know, maybe it's to give her the benefit of the doubt for Thomason's benefit. Right. But like, I, I think she's communicating it through language, but I don't think that the fear comes from like the actual fear of hell. I don't know. What do you guys think? I personally did not get the sexuality like undertones at all watching this i i purely thought that that catherine was mad and targeting thomason because of her actions of losing samuel i did not i i never like thinking about it i don't have any moments where i thought that she was like jealous of thomason in any way or like want or like i think yeah i don't think that i didn't personally feel that kind of tension uh or see that in the movie did I imagine this? Armand, did you, you see did this not. or am I a crazy person that she for sure is jealous of Thomason and the dad? Like there's moments of Thomason being like, like where they're obviously father and daughter and there's nothing intimate mm-hmm. happening, but the mom is like, clearly like there is something happening. The one them. weird thing I that I remember was I found it to be weird was her taking off, uh, like was uh, Thomason taking off a William shirt at the very end. I found that to be kind of weird, but I, but it's weird because Catherine told her to do it as well. She's like, take your father's shirt off and go wash it. And that was kind mm. of an interesting scene where I was like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I think that he can take his own shirt off. <laughs> Why does she have to do it? Wasn't he hurt in that scene? I think, I think so. But mm-hmm. I think, but the most important thing is um, the element that we're, we're missing is Caleb. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where it's rooted in is because Caleb's struggle throughout this entire film is, you know, his sexuality in a way. And he's mm-hmm. tempted by sexuality with his sister. He keeps on looking at her. Um, and also when he goes out into the forest, he's given the final temptation mm-hmm. where he stumbles upon a witch and she uses, uh, I think she's like glamored to look really attractive to him. And he falls into temptation to disastrous consequences because he ends up dying from that <laughs> encounter. Um, but I think that's a very important thing because as their mother, I think she notices that Caleb's being weird with mm-hmm. his sister. Um, and also, could that stem, you know, could that also transfer to her husband? Like, I think it's just like the stress of being without your comforts and like abundance and like resources to take care of your family. I think she could be losing her mind mm-hmm. and she's like being paranoid uh, of with every little tiny thing. And 
that's how I saw it. I think Caleb is such an integral part of that because like once Caleb dies and I believe the husband dies too, she confronts Thomason and she was like, you're going to tear my family apart or you tore my family apart this and that because of, I think your sexuality or something like that. It was something to the effect where she was like blaming her sexuality and like she tempted all the men in her family and that's why everyone's dead. That's just what I remember, but yeah, maybe I'm interested in that. Like even like taking her, taking going with Caleb into the woods without telling the family too, I think. And then obviously to those terrible, you know, circumstances whatever right. happens to him too so it's yeah i guess she is I, in Catherine's eyes tearing the family apart yeah caleb is such an interesting i mean for all of the points you just touched on is such an interesting character to like bring into it but i love that scene when he sees the witch mm-hmm. in the woods i also love that you said that she's glamored because i know that that means that you're like like that's like a spell thing like I know that terminology but when you said it I was like oh she like did her glam she like did Kardashian she like <laughs> she's a Victoria's Secret model I believe too yeah she had all that those actress. resources in her mm-hmm. cute little hut and then she came out and she's like, <laughs> um no Blow but up. you can see I just think that that is one of the best acted scenes is little Caleb in that scene because you can see how like terrified he is but that he just like cannot resist like the temptation of this person but he looks horrified like he doesn't look stoked to be doing it he's like crying and shaking and it's like the perfect epitome i think of the conversation of the role that sexuality does play in the movie the witch was like a siren exactly yeah caleb was like the ship going towards the rocks like he just couldn't help himself yeah foreshadowing for the lighthouse yes Oh, we go. wow. <laughs> With that old hand that comes oh, and reaches yes. around. Yes. Great. It was so good because, like, everything is told to you visually. There was no dialogue in that scene mm-hmm. at all. But we understood it perfectly because, like, it was well-directed. Robert Eggers, you're a genius. Yeah. I guess now that you say that, there's no dialogue besides Black Phillip in any of the witch scenes. Like, obviously the first one. Um, R.I.P. Samuel, like no dialogue. There's no dialogue in the Caleb scene. There's no dialogue in the final scene. Like those are just images. They're so good. Yeah. And what I appreciate it, what I appreciate about those scenes is that you can draw your own conclusion from there. And it, there's a little bit of ambiguity with it, which is why we're talking about the film right now is like, was Thomason destined for the path that she was, embarked upon or was she secretly or was she secretly orchestrating every little thing because like as you're watching it especially the first time watching it you don't really know what's happening you just believe that i guess this family's cursed maybe they're on cursed land maybe there's a coven all around them kind of like wolves like uh, tracking their prey and then attacking them or picking them off one by one or was thomason you know, actually secretly evil the whole time because like there is that one scene by the creek that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. where she says, I be the witch of the wood. And the first time watching it, you're like, is she like, is this a jest? Is she playing a game? She's trying to creep out her sisters. She's very convincing. I was like, wait, is she? <laughs> Did I miss something <laughs> the whole time? Oh no, she's just joking. <laughs> or was she just joking? Mm. Oh. Because like later in the movie where Caleb uh, is seduced and then brought to death's door and 
the little sisters are like, oh, she says that she's a witch. And then Thomason's reaction was, no, you said, and then she says the dialogue that she said, and then she attributes, she attributes it to her little sisters. And it's like, wait a minute, she's lying. She's covering it up. She's being genuine. She was genuine. Oh my God, she's the witch. What if what Mercy you- was the witch the whole time? I believe it, first of all. Right? <laughs> I would like to know, like, what do you both want the answer to be? Like, do you want her to have been born into this path and orchestrating it and Thomason is an evil genius? Or do you want her to have fallen into this and this conversation we see with her and Black Phillip at the end of the movie is as innocent as approach as, as it appears to be? What do you want the answer to be? What do you want the answer to be, Emily? I like the latter option, personally. I don't think, again, going going through and talking about, you know, the fate of it all, like, I think those are contributing factors. But I don't, I think that, again, talking about how would she have signed the book in the beginning when they were in the village compared to now, mm. I don't think she would have in the beginning. And even at, even we have, like, the her opening shot of her sitting in the courthouse uh, with, you know, hat on, bonnet, you know, very pinned back, compared to her final shot where she is levitating into the air, you know, and she is now free from her oppressive family, and she can kind of do whatever she wants now. I would like to think that the course of events is what led her to making that decision to sign the book. And now I think she's actually very excited to be joining this coven of hopefully strong badass witches who will help her burning baby fat and flying around. Also, question another question. Bonfire. Whatever happened to Mercy and Jonas? We don't know what happened to them, but we do know that they use baby fat or like children's fat to fly. Do we think that they made it into the bonfire? What happened to the twins? Armand. Thoughts? Um, before I answer that, I want to talk about what you said before that, um, which is the bookends of this film with Thomason's first appearance where Mm -hmm. she has the Puritan outfit on uh, with the bonnet and the dress and all that. And then to her final shots where she's levitating, where she has her hair completely undone and she's nude. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important because like it showed her progression. Um, from where she started to the end, where she started as this uh, trying to visually look pure. But in actuality, her heart was destined towards witchcraft. I just find that really interesting that Robert Eggers, and it has to be deliberate because mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, her face fills the frame in the start and mm-hmm. in the end. So I just find that interesting how her progression was that. So in the contrast of the light and the dark, too. She's very well lit. It's daytime in that opening shot. And then the end, it's obviously nighttime. So the, the contrast between that is also visually very stunning. The descent to darkness. Mm-hmm. So it Ooh. it begs, it makes you think, like, was she destined towards that outcome? And I think the visual cues throughout this film indicate that possibly. But to answer your second question... <laughs> I'm pretty certain her twins, her twin sisters died, or not sisters. One of them was a boy. They're fratern- yeah, they're fraternal twins. Do you yeah, think that I, they escaped and just no died to the elements? No, because, I think that like, they got burnt in that fire. <laughs> during, during that scene where Caleb is dying, and we can unpack that too if you want, they are stiff as a board. 
they just seem dead to me. So it makes sense that the coven, while Thomason was signing the Book of the Dead or whatever it is, uh, to pledge allegiance to the devil, it makes sense that they would raid her former homestead and take the bodies mm-hmm. and grind them up. And then, because in that scene, they're being lathered with blood in the background. So, damn. I think, <laughs> I think you're onto something, Emily. I did not think, I mean, I assumed that they also died when we see them like super stiff. Right. It was like, ah, oh, they, they did. I did not <laughs> consider the fact that the bonfire that is being had, because the difference. I was going to say something very dark. I just feel Go like... It. Do it. Well, okay. Oh, I don't know if I can say this. It's so Do dark. It. Like, if one baby equals one enough for one witch, then two mm. six-year-old toddlers would probably mm. be enough mm-hmm. to get a whole coven flying around. So, what a quote. Just, again, <laughs> ratio-wise, makes right. sense. Because <laughs> I, also, I have to admit up. that I, when I was watching this movie, I was watching it during the daytime, and there's a lot of light in my house, so I did miss some of the darker scenes. You're so like, I thought that, yeah, I thought the twins were in, <laughs> locked in the hut with Thomason and the goats, but I don't remember seeing them after that moment. Right. Because they have that conversation I, where she, where right. they, like, they ask, they say, like, Mercy asks Thomason, are you a witch? She's like, no. Are you? Because <laughs> I think they were playing, when Caleb is, you know, when Caleb dies and is having his, you know, fit or his exorcist moment, they, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing because they're kids and they're the worst and they're also just playing along because they think it's a big game even though their brother is dying. Um mm-hmm. And they're also, of course, you know, getting whispered to by Black Phillip. So they're probably just kind of playing along in that sense. But I don't know, guys. I like the bonfire theory. I am pretty with you on the bonfire theory. I like that a lot. Also, just because I hate those twins so much. Uh, Truly the worst. I'm glad we can all agree on that. Yeah. You know what? I didn't. I didn't notice it because like. I just didn't notice, but like, you're totally right because it was set up earlier in the film mm-hmm. uh, with the baby that was stolen. And then in that scene, which I was, I was wondering, I was like, why are, why are we being shown this? Where after that scene, she is levitating towards the moon. And then at the end of the film, the entire coven is levitating. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense. Like, I don't think they slaughtered a deer. Right. That yeah. Blood. Yeah. You could Too almost easy. think about it like, like, okay, so this family moves in to the forest this coven is seeing what is happening and they're like all right we got three child aged food sources dope we'll get to them we got one like teen male can't do anything with him so i guess we'll just find a creative way to kill him we got one Mm -hmm. recruit she looks great and we got these two parents and we'll just use them as the catalysts for the whole thing (laughs) like yeah like they moved in and they were like done easy yeah yeah here's i'm gonna pose a question and i want uh your opinions on it why do you think the coven targeted children i have a theory but i want to hear what you two think i think it's the innocence factor and i think that at that point caleb might have been too old because he is now getting more mature and you know seeing women in a different way whereas samuel is a baby he's at the purest form of innocence even though the parents think he's going to hell he's never done anything wrong i think that there's more power with 
uh, with the blood of the innocent, which is a sentence I didn't think that I would say on this podcast today, but here Sounds we like are. like a metal band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that the question you're posing is all like, is an interesting, the reason this movie is so great is because it's having us ask those questions, mm-hmm. which I think the idea of that question is rooted in like our oldest fairy tales. Like that is a question that has been inspiring humanity to create scary stories for literally like thousands of years. So it's cool because it's like, because I know in like witch lore, right. They like kill babies to stay young. So I think that the question you're posing is like, wouldn't it be again, another great, great, great movie. (laughs) It would be like really interesting to just like have a 400 year old time machine and like talk, ask someone that question who was like you know spreading these fairy tales because i think what you're asking is like at the root of human psychology you Mm -hmm. know like why babies Mm -hmm. exactly because like i was as we were talking i just thought back to like ancient societies where they would have human sacrifice and like that archetype of of like sacrificing the virgins to the gods like i think it's veiled language like i think it's children that are being sacrificed because they are the innocent. Mm-hmm. So is it they're sacrificing, they're killing them for their potential, like their potential because like children are just, they could be anything. And like they ends up destroying that and they're like feeding off of it. Kind of like vampires. Maybe that's where the vampire mythos Oshel came from. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting. Like where the root of like that's, I guess trope comes from. It's just really interesting to ponder about. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that theme is included in a lot of fairy tales, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the witch seeking the young. I think you're totally right with the vampires and, you know, it's the wolf seeking on the little girl in the forest. Like I think so many fairy tales can be rooted back to like really, really simple themes. And I definitely think that like age and innocence is a big one. (laughs) The predator seeking the prey. Yeah. So We're says Stephen it. Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we reached the end of the show. And before we get to the end of the show, a segment we like to do is called Off the Fence. So I'm going to ask a series of questions and we're going to get definitively off the fence, yes or no, and why when it comes to Robert Eggers, the witch. So the first question I have is, do you believe that Thomason was destined to succumb to the dark one, given everything we talked about? Yes. <laughs> no. Oh, I feel like our both of, we both started with the opposite answer at the top of this podcast, and now we switched. <laughs> okay, explain, explain, explain. I'll, I'll go. The go. feminist in me wants to say no. I don't think that she was destined to be a witch. I think that the events in her life made her a witch yeah i changed my answer that's the right answer that's (laughs) (laughs) i got to i got seduced by that final frame the first and the final frame i was like yeah it (laughs) no that was the answer (laughs) armand what's your answer (laughs) i'm gonna say yes i think given the the subject matter, the themes that I mean, I don't, I don't think it's by accident that it's a, a New England folk tale uh, of the Salem witch trials as the, the backdrop. I think it's totally intentional. I think maybe what Robert Eggers was trying to uh, 
explain is like, yeah, some people are in the, in the terms of the story. And I think she was always destined towards going towards darkness. And yeah, that's where I stand. That certainly is the fun answer. Yeah. I like both of them. Yeah. Um, so that leads into my second question that we touched upon a little bit. Um, so if the family was never banished, so family was still in the village, do you think the events of the film, the overall events of like the witches hunting on the humans, do you think that would have happened, but on a grander scale of them attacking the village? I'd like to yes and that and say, yes, it would have. And it's going to happen after the event. Oh, like, yeah. I think Thomason is going to go back to that village and kill some babies. Exactly. Because she knows where it is. She's familiar with that community. She's not happy about being outcast. Mm-mm. For sure. And that's another movie that I would totally watch, too. Yeah. We just got her <laughs> village villain origin story. Yeah. Like, she's yes. just beginning. <laughs> it has to happen. Yeah. Like, how I imagine it. Like, have you seen the movie um, 30 Days of Night? Mm-mm. Um, hello, Josh Hartnett, Yankee's Heartthrob. <laughs> oh, yes. <nice. laughs> That's how I imagine the film going. Okay, so let me explain the film a little bit, Emily. So it is. it takes place in Alaska, and this group of, this horde of vampires attack this small town in Alaska because it's the winter and there's no daylight for 30 days. So they just slaughter everybody, blood everywhere, dragging people through the streets. It's very gruesome. Emily, you had me at Josh Hartnett. <laughs> I was already in before I heard the pitch, let's be honest. It's a romantic comedy that takes yeah. place in the Alaskan wilderness. <laughs> but also, side note, what a great place for vampires to live because they don't have to worry about the sunlight. Again, yeah. much to the twilight, the fogginess of, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, Forks, Washington? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Smart. Smart of them. This is the skin of a killer. <laughs> Say it. You're a vampire. Oh. <laughs> We're doing a Twilight episode next, everyone. That's really? Our next join up. Are we? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. yeah. New well, moon. Armand, we're going to invite you on to discuss yes. as seriously as possible Twilight <laughs> <laughs> on Real Friends Movie Podcast. <laughs> well, you see, the Cullens are just misunderstood. <laughs> So it's been 17 for 700 years. But let's talk about that baseball scene, am I right? It's very cute. Hey, say what you will. Great movie soundtrack. Oh, I'll silence. leave that silence. <laughs> silence. No, you got to cut that silence down. Nope. <laughs> it's for comedic timing. It's a great soundtrack. Anyways. All right, what is, what is your answer? What do you think will happen? To the village? To the village. Yeah. I think, I was touching upon it with 30 Days of Night. I think if they never left, I'm going to answer this in two different ways. I think if they never left, I think, I would like to think Thomason would still sign the book. Mm-hmm. And the witches would infiltrate the village and just wreak havoc. I think Hell they would yeah. overwhelm the humans there. Concur. I think that would be, yeah, I think that would have been. Could be like a Roanoke situation. Yeah. Oh my, right? Don't give Robert Eggers any of our secrets. No, sorry. <laughs> but I oh, I thought you were going to say, yes. don't give him another plot. Imagine a, a Robert Eggers Roanoke movie. Brutal. Would watch. Mm-hmm. 
what if all of Robert Eggers' films was the same cinematic universe? Shut the I f- think move, so. Move over, uh, Marvel. Marvel Eggers. <laughs> the Eggers verse. <laughs> Sounds kind of sweet. <laughs> what if the Eggers universe is just a prequel to the Marvel universe, and this supervillain origin story that we're getting, <gasps> she turns into I don't know anything about Marvel. Emily Scarlet Witch. Witch. Scarlet. No, yeah. or, no, she could be Agatha. Agatha could have come from that witch coven mm-hmm. from WandaVision. There, mm-hmm. there it is, there Captain. Mm-hmm. This is it. Yep, locking it in. <laughs> and the lighthouse is the prequel to Twilight because Robert <laughs> He didn't die in the end. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. He's he just very became much alive. a vampire because <laughs> that's when the Cullens found him. And yes. They, they listed him right then and there. And they, he's forever that age. We listed. <laughs> It's my new favorite word. Also, isn't there an Armand in uh, Interview with a Vampire? There is. There is. So Wait, who is who? Which one? Antonio Banderas. Oh, sure. How could I forget? Of course. <laughs> great movie. Great film. It is a great yeah. I do love that movie. We, lo- we, we love that film. I do have one really quick, just like fun fact about this movie that I have to say out loud. I already know how Emily's going to react. Armand, I hope you react the same way. Oh boy. Which is that while I was doing research, the woman who plays the witch at the beginning, so like the older mm-hmm. witch who kills mm-hmm. the baby, guess what that woman's name is in real life, the actress's name. This is not a joke. Bathsheba. Shut Jenna. up. No way. No, it's not. It is. Stop it. It is. Again. Bathsheba. Is Bathsheba, Bathsheba now the woman who is in the Conjuring? Are we bringing the Conjuring universe into this Eggers universe now, too? It's expansive. <laughs> Bathsheba is the witchiest name I've ever heard in my entire life. 100%. I can't believe there is a woman Bathsheba. currently living on this earth whose real Bathsheba. name is Bathsheba. What a name. shit out of us. What a name. You know, in the Bible, Bathsheba is like a temptress. Of so it's like, why, saying, why, why would you, it's like naming your kid Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet little Lucy and Bathsheba. Lucy and Baffy. I love AKA Lucy. Mercy and Jonas. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. Ugh. That's a great okay. fact. So I have a couple more questions. Yes. So moving, moving away from the plots, uh, we talked about Robert Eggers. Do you think this was a strong opening for his directorial career? Absolutely, yes. 10 out of 10. Yes. He won, I believe he won Best Director for The Witch at Sundance as well. So good for him. Good Good for him. Mm -hmm. It's a damn good movie. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. So do you think this was Robert Eggers' best film in his filmography so far? I would like to watch The Northman Northman. first. And then I will, because I, I need to watch it first. Okay, and then we can say, we'll text you and we'll let you know yeah. what we think. <laughs> yeah, we'll t- we'll text her definitively. Yeah, I do love the lighthouse, but I do think I I prefer the witch to the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. They're both slow burns in different ways. Yeah, like the lighthouse is like a psychological thriller of like the descent uh, with these two men, and then same same theme in the witch, but it's this family just tearing itself apart mm-hmm. because of their fears, both internally 
and externally. So in my opinion, even with the Northmen, I think The Witch is the, his best film. So will you, for your ranking, it's Witch, Northman, Lighthouse. They're also, oh, or, 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 it's so can, hard. I would like to say you it's can like also a say kid. you can, there could be a tie. You can be like tie between two or Number tie. one, all of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's an acceptable answer. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I think yeah. the Northman is a solid, you know, no, I'm going to be brave. I think the Northman is a solid second place and the Lighthouse is third. Even though this is like way at the top of the mountain, these films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm so I'm so excited for the Northmen. I'm also just so confused because everything that I've seen makes it look like this like grand epic kind of thing, which is like the opposite of the Witch mm-hmm. and the Lighthouse. So mm-hmm. don't say anything. But I'm just so like confused how those two styles are gonna merge. You'll be surprised. All right, and my final question. Would you recommend The Witch to a friend? Yes. Have I done it? Yeah, four thumbs up. The answer is yes. I've already done it many times in the past, and I will continue to recommend it to people, for sure. We agree. I also do believe uh, Emily and I did a spooky season series of scary movie recommendations over the month of October, and I do believe The Witch was included in our recommendations it was it was yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i'm just realizing that we haven't said its true title the vavitch the vavitch a new england folktale because <laughs> like, <a> musical <laughs> <laughs> yeah. could you imagine i'm not gonna lie i saw what was called silence the musical and it was a musical rendition of silence of the lambs and it was hilarious so it can't be done wait have i told what? you that there was a musical named lestat that i saw for my fifth grade birthday in san francisco of course you did <laughs> it did not get picked up but yeah there was a lestat musical uh, i would totally watch that it did not go to broadway oh man <laughs> what a ride what i'm just dumbfounded right now <laughs> But if silence comes to you, you must see it. <laughs> we had Evil Dead, the musical, which was weird. We did? You, di- you didn't know that? No. No. Weird. Yeah, I saw it. What, what was a standout scene that you remember that cannot be taken out of your memory? Nothing. <laughs> <That good. laughs> uh. Okay, imagine the, the music video of Thriller, but just not good. Oh. I mean, still sounds like something I'd watch. Probably, it was like yeah. just to say, Ash Williams it. with his chainsaw hand, and he was like, dun, 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 and then like the zombies are dancing behind him. <laughs> oh my gosh! And I'm like, Amazing. And there was a splash zone, by the way. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! I wish I had time to do stuff like that. Our passion project on the side, we can do the Vivitch, a New England musical <laughs> instead of a New England folktale. <laughs> Let's do Just it. Just use Taylor Swift songs in uh, folklore. Done. I'm ready. <laughs> Madison, you can do that. You're the, you're the, you're the T-Swift savant. <laughs> Here I come. So I would recommend the Vivitch to a friend. I already have many <laughs> friends. It's a great film. It's the best movie ever. Maybe not ever. It's really good. Really good. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to close this out? Yeah. Yes and no, but yes, if we must. 
Is there anything you want to say before we get to the outro? I do have two things that I must say. My question. Okay, so Kate Dickey. (laughs) This is my standout thing that I was talking to in the very beginning. I can't believe it took you the whole episode to get I've to been waiting. Scene. I know it haunts you. Please continue. I want to know what percentage of projects she has been in where she breastfeeds things that she's not supposed to. <laughs> I would just like to say the two examples, obviously this movie, The Witch, uh, you know, she's imagining being with Samuel again, but it's not Samuel. It's a raven. Terrible. Um, and then, of course, we have <clears throat> her beautiful... 12-year-old son, uh, Robin Aaron, in uh, Game of Thrones, who she also breastfeeds for way too long. So that's just who I see Kate Dickey as. She's the lady who breastfeeds in her projects, which I love. I love that for her. Not I don't only think... that, oh, but breastfeeding oh. two different types of birds. We have a raven in The Witch, <laughs> and then a sparrow in Game of Thrones, Robin Aaron. That's their <gasps> house sigil. Wow. Oh my god. Wow. Bad man fly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, you're on to something. This is amazing. What a connection. I don't don't think she breastfeeds anyone in Star Wars The Last Jedi, but we do get the blue milk in Star Wars, so I'd like to say that that counts. Okay, I agree with that. Thank you. Yeah. Who was she in The Last Jedi? She has one line at the very beginning of the movie. She is on the ship and that's all and she says she's okay she's on the part of the first is she at the first order yeah yeah she's in the scene with like donald gleason and yeah that like that first scene that's like funny one funny funny (laughs) well good for her she got one line yeah yeah (laughs) wow I just wanted to make that point. My second point is that mm-hmm. this is a whole new movie watching with subtitles, and I would recommend watching it with subtitles if you can, because Jacobian English is not easy for me to understand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I was going to turn it on, but I was like, no, I'm just going to listen. Good for you. Ooh, that was You're brave. a stronger person than I. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's good for you. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> A-Y-E. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we watched, I mean, that was one of our first impressions walking out of the theater. We we're like, what? What? <laughs> I have a similar experience because I saw the tragedy of a Macbeth mm. and going into it, I didn't know it was uh, Shakespearean. I didn't think they were going to use that language. And then they started talking. I was like, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> oh this is just simply the tragedy yep. of Macbeth. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just get the gist of every paragraph that they say. Yeah. Subtitles. So yeah. I feel, there's no yeah. subtitles in the theater. It's true. I don't even know how they do closed captioning because it's always like in the little thing when you get your tickets. Mm-hmm. Like, do they give you special glasses? Oh, it's like I actually overlay. know this from my days working at a movie theater. You oh. get like a special. It actually looks really similar to like this mic stand, but it like stands up and it's like a little small machine, like an analog machine, not analog, but it's not like a computer screen that like hooks up to the closed captioning and so you can just like look at them right that's so them. cool i didn't know yeah. Yeah. so you have yeah. to watch the movie like this the whole time yeah basically yeah <laughs> it's not ideal that's yeah. awful but if you need it you need it <laughs> yeah they have to make like glasses they have the technology amc could afford it yeah or amc no, i don't know if they so can afford ideas. it anymore yeah i know all right so are you okay are you ready to close? close I'm ready. Those are two of okay. my important notes. It's very important. <laughs> I'm ready. My final note with Bathsheba was Bathsheba, and I got ahead of myself <laughs> on that. So, yes, continue. So bizarre. I feel like that's a fake name. I feel like that's like her stage it's a witch name. witch name. Yeah. It's I not am good. Well, she, she's like a real witch. Oh, for 1,000% she is. She's a, she's a real has, witch. She has crystals at home. She has a wand, probably. Like She <laughs> was cast because she, yeah, she like walked into the audition and Robert Eggers was like, let's do the scene. She was also the witch I consultant. Am a witch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was like, Double okay, role. great. You're he, he probably went on Craigslist and was like, witch Witches. needed. Yeah. <laughs> Bathsheba you, responded. He was like, oh, perfect. Done. You got it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> How witchy do you want me to be? Yes. yes. <laughs> Bathsheba. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, let's close this out. All right. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Witch. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, thank you, Emily Madison, for coming on to Syndicate. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Armand. That was so fun. So much fun. Thank you so much for having us. You kept us in line. We usually go way more off the rails than this. So oh, yeah. This and was, if you want to hear that, our, our handle is uh, at Real Friends Pod on Instagram. You can hear some of our outlandish audio clips and uh, follow us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. And if you want to hear more of Emily and Madison, please check them out on their podcast, Real Friends, wherever you find your podcasts. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please ask on your favorite social media platform at Syndicates. That is Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Or feel free to join our film community on Discord, where you can catch myself, along with other podcasters and listeners, talking about this film and others at syndicate.com forward slash Discord. But if we miss anything during this conversation, please send us a message at info at syndicate.com or visit the website, syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.